But we're really grateful to be here and to have this church as our home. As Daniel mentioned, I was born and raised in Chapel Hill. My story began with my family. My parents came over from India, Calcutta, India to be specific, in the 1960s. My dad got a job at UNC and stayed ever since. I was born in 73. My wife was born in 73 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She's a redhead from Winston-Salem, but this tall. And uh, we met at Chapel Hill. Uh, even though I was one of those weird Chapel Hill people, I was actually born in Durham County as well. Those weird neighborhoods, you know? That's right. Durhamites. I, I just give me some love there. Uh, I went to Jordan High School, graduated in the class of 91. There I played football and uh, wrestling, and I came to Christ through the work of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Young Life. So I'm really, really grateful for those parachurch organizations and how they met me here in Durham. Um, I, before I begin, I just want to say, look, there's a lot of brokenness in my life. Uh, I might have been a church planner, and I might work for a global organization that plants churches all over the place. I'm a broken, flawed human being, and I'm really grateful Jesus loves me. And I come before you not on my own merit, but only in the righteousness of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite prayers in scriptures. It's a prayer I pray often. It's a prayer that I desperately need answered today. So if you would, please stand. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be able to be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be seated. If you would, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we're just really, really grateful to be in this passage. And as those prayed before me, we long to see you, Lord Jesus. Your rich love and mercy that's never-ending. Your compassion, your gentleness, your kindness to us. Holy Spirit, we'd love to see the love the Father has for us and to be empowered by you and to find our home centered in the love that Jesus has for us. So as this word is preached, Lord Jesus, would you lift us up and help us to find comfort in you alone. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote this, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now think about this. In your normal experiences as a Christian, in your sin, your limitations, and your weaknesses that we all have, is this your normal experience? Not talk, but the power of God residing within you. Later on, Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he said this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, in the midst of your normal mundane challenges, Monday through Saturday, at the center of it is there a transcendent joy welling up deep within you for the life that you have in Christ. Blaise Pascal in November 23rd, 1654, you may know him from your math class, you may know him from physics class, maybe three of you know him uh, from your theology classes, 
but he, he's been profound in what he's offered humanity, he had this deeply beautiful, transcendent encounter with God. He tried to capture in a journal entry, and I'm going to read it for you. He said this, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the philosophers of the learned, of which he was the chief, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, joy, 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 tears of joy. And then he goes on to say, let me not be separated from him forever. And then later on, renunciation, total and sweet. I love this journal entry. Here's the most learned man of his time, and he can't write in complete sentences. He's so overwhelmed by the love of God that he's breaking into haiku. He, he, there's no proper grammar in anything he's writing because words cannot begin to capture the magnitude of what he's experiencing from God in that moment. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the love of God? When was the last time you were undone by the Holy Spirit pressing upon your heart the magnitude of all that you have in Jesus? When was the last time the Holy Spirit showed up to you, not in your quiet time, not in your brilliance, not in your obedience to Jesus, but in your weakness, in your self-sufficiency, in your pride, in your self-reliance, in your self-will, and where you oriented you to the beauty, sufficiency of Jesus? When was the last time you experienced him him such a degree that your words failed to capture what you're experiencing from the Holy Spirit? Paul's prayer that we're looking at this morning creates a problem for us this morning. Paul's challenging us to bridge the gap between what we know and what we experience. And sadly, for most of this room, that gap is a chasm. Paul actually wants us to experience what we believe. Paul's prayer exposes our default mode. See, we're often comfortable with that gap between what we know and experience. We're comfortable having a life with Christ, but not without its power. We're comfortable not drawing upon the immeasurable love of Jesus. And what's so beautiful about this prayer this morning is Paul offers us a remedy, and it's called spiritual renewal. For this morning's purposes, spiritual renewal is experiencing the immeasurable wealth of the love and grace of Jesus in your deepest parts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to briefly look at four things this morning. The paradigm for spiritual renewal, the problem of spiritual renewal, the practice of spiritual renewal, and the power of spiritual renewal. Paradigm, problem, practice, power. Let's go. The paradigm for spiritual renewal. If you look at verse 16, Paul kind of gives us the boundaries of what spiritual renewal is. Let me read it for us again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So pretty quickly we see the destination of spiritual renewal is your inner being, your deepest parts. The origination of spiritual renewal is the wealth of God's grace. The means of spiritual renewal is the Holy Spirit. Now, now hear this. The outcome of spiritual renewal is to be strengthened with power. So what does that look like? As we build out a paradigm of spiritual renewal from this passage, we're going to look at three layers. And the first layer is this. Spiritual renewal is experiencing the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit. Again, the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's verse 19. Now, on one level, you all have the fullness of God. When Jesus invades your life, the Father, Son, and Spirit come in their fullness. They take over. They give you a new heart. They make you a brand new child. They regenerate you. They give you the spirit. And you got all of God to enjoy him with. 
So it's objectively true. You have all the fullness of God. So what on earth is Paul referring to? I think he may be referring to the influence and the persuasion of the Holy Spirit in your life. So what is your experience of the Holy Spirit in your mundane life, in all the limitations that you carry with you from the day that you were born? Do you find the Holy Spirit guiding you, comforting you, convicting you, teaching you, and reminding you of all that Jesus has taught us? Do you see more fruit year after year after year? More love for God the Father and your friends? More joy in what Jesus has done for you? More peace that transcends your understanding? More patience for that nagging coworker, And more self-control? Do you see more and more of Jesus? Do you see the Holy Spirit's giving you eyes to behold the Great One, the lover of your soul, and does that bring comfort to you? Do you find the Holy Spirit filling you up with His love? And ultimately, do you hear the Spirit of God inside of you crying out, Abba, Father, and giving you lips to cry out, Abba, Father, as well as you experience the beauty of your sonship that you're a dearly loved, beloved child of God? The Holy Spirit is on a mission to literally take over your life, to literally conform you to the very image of Jesus, and do you experience him as you walk with him? Spiritual renewals experiencing the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit, but sadly Paul's not done here. He adds another second layer to overwhelm us. Spiritual renewal is the existential enjoyment of God's love. Again, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, we tend to make knowledge really rational, don't we? It's something cognitive, it's information, it's stuff that resides in here. But the Bible tends to be far more holistic in its understanding of knowledge. Uh, my favorite example of this is when I was 17. Again, I was born and raised in Chapel Hill. I love the Tar Heels. I know that's hard for some of you in this room. But this story is going to work for you. Uh, a friend of mine who's on my football team said, Rue, I know you love Chapel Hill. You know I'm a Duke fan, but I got tickets for the Carolina Duke game. Let's go. I'm like, sweet, let's do this. So I rolled over to his parents' house. We got in there a really nice car, and I didn't realize how rich he was. And then we, we drove to the Duke game, and he went to the special parking spot. I'd never seen a parking spot this close to Duke's football stadium. And then I suddenly realized his dad was an Ironside member. And then there's this beautiful tent set up, and there's this amazing buffet. And they quickly realized I had never had pork barbecue. Now, this is hard for some of you to imagine, but I was raised in Chapel Hill, and for 17 years, I have never had Carolina pork barbecue. You know that vinegar, that tomato goodness, right? Never had it. So that moment on, everyone around me got really excited. They were talking my head off about how great it was, how it was going to change my life, how transcendent it was. And I was like, yes, yeah, sounds awesome. I can't wait. So they got me to the front of the buffet line, and it so happened that the manager was there. The manager realized this was my first time at pork barbecue. He was so excited. He, he personally walked me through the entire line, explained me what every item was. And then I had this pile of chopped pork barbecue, and I sat down. At this moment, I think everyone in the entire Ironside tent realized this Asian kid was about to have his first pork barbecue. I had 70, 80 eyes on me at that moment, and then my lips touched that pork barbecue. And it was transcendent. It was amazing. It literally did change my life. From that point forward, I ate so much barbecue, and I was so, so grateful for bullets and what they did for me that day. Now, as much as they tried to explain to me how amazing poor barbecue was, 
it wasn't until I ate it that I really understood. Right? What about you when it comes to the love of Jesus? Are you presently experiencing what you're expounding to others? It may flow from your lips, but does it flow from your heart? Are you experiencing the beauty of the love of Jesus, not just in your mind, but in your deepest parts? Is your understanding of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ mathematics and technically true, or pork barbecue and something you devour and feast on and enjoy? You see, a lot of us are from different places in our spirituality. We're trying to figure out and make sense of who this God is and what he's doing in our life. Is your spirituality something cerebral that you can control and manage? Or is there something life-altering that emanates from within you that literally transforms you? This is why the psalmist said many thousands of years ago, taste and see that the Lord is good because his love is meant to be devoured. Spiritual renewal is about the existential enjoyment of God's love. As we finish building out this paradigm for spiritual renewal, I want us to look at the final and third layer. The spiritual renewal is seizing the magnitude of God's love in Christ. Verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Again, power to comprehend. Comprehend is a poor translation of this word. It's grasp. It's something proactively you do. It's something you seize. So at the very least, let's just take a few moments this morning and explore out what we have to seize. When Paul refers to the breath of God's love, it reminds me of Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isn't that one of the most beautiful, glorious promises of the gospel? That all our past, present, and future sins have been fully forgiven? That on the cross of Christ, he absorbed wrath for all those sins and he remembers them no more? That speaks to the breadth of God's love. But then think about the length of God's love. God's love began before time where he knew us. It presented itself on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as he died for us. But it reminds me of Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That God's grace and love is so magnificent, so manifold, that he chases us down, he will never let us go, and he will not rest until we're safe and secure with him in glory. Think about the depth of God's love. How deep is God's love for us? It's so deep that Jesus willingly went to the lowest place for us. If you think about the horror of the cross, it's what we didn't see that made it so painful. For the first time in the life of Jesus, he knew not his father. His father turned his back on him. For the first time's experience, not only did his father abandon him, but his father placed the sin of his people on him. And then his father not just rejected him, but poured down wrath on him. And he went to the lowest place because he appeased and satisfied the entire justice of God. And in its place, as he took our sin and shame, he gave us his righteousness, his beauty, his standing before the Father. So as we think about the breadth of God's love and the length of God's love and the depth of God's love, think about the height for a moment. One day you will inherit all that Jesus has. One day he will bring you to a perfect world that he's going to restore and bring to order. One day you'll be fully blessed, fully comforted, 
fully glorious as your elder brother, the Lord Jesus, is. And he will give you his kingdom, and you will reign and rule with him, and you will share in his glory. Friends, this gospel, this glory is meant to be seized. It's meant to be grasped. It's meant to be devoured. It's meant to capture the entire horizon and orbit of our lives. Spiritual renewal involves seizing the magnitude of God's love for you. As we build out this paradigm, it creates tremendous problems for all of us in this room, doesn't it? Weren't we all crushed by the paradigm? Weren't all of us going, oh, rats, I don't think I got any one of those layers down. What do I do? For a few moments, I want us to consider why we have a problem for spiritual renewal. I'm going to give you my list of eight issues. First, busyness. We live in a frantic society. Between technology and the pace we have at work and home, we're going from one thing to the next, one thing to the next, and we love the busyness if we're honest with ourselves. We love the pace. We love the franticness. Why? Because we don't have to really check in. And so it's like tanking up on junk food. We don't realize how hungry we are. For some of us, it's not busyness. It's comfort. We crave it. We obsess over it. You only have to look at our waistlines to know where we go to often find comfort. And so we run around all these other things to find comfort instead of the love of Jesus. And then we wonder why we have a problem with spiritual renewal. So some of it's not busyness. It's not comfort. Some of it's just obsession. I'm sorry, ambition. We obsess over things like our image or success. If you're wired like me, you find your success in all the wrong places, and particularly work, and you're so ambitious about reaching those goals that you don't realize you're not feasting on the love of Jesus. For some of you, it's not busyness, it's not comfort, it's not ambition, it's that you're just overwhelmed. You're so overwhelmed that you just have to check out, and so we binge watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu, or all the above, as much as possible, and we find our hopes and dreams in someone else's story instead of finding the love of God in our story. But for some of us, it's not busyness, it's not comfort, it's not ambition, it's not being overwhelmed, it's control. We want to keep our spirituality intellectual. We want to keep the gospel and the love of Jesus an intellectual exercise so we can control it, we can manage it, we can check that box and feel like we're doing something really great with our spirituality. But that status quo living in the Christian life is a false substitute than living in the light of God's love and devouring his grace and presence. So for some of us, it's not busyness, it's not comfort, it's not ambition, it's not being overwhelmed, it's not control, it's just unbelief. If we're honest ourselves in the silence and the stillness, we don't really believe this kind of renewal is possible. We don't really believe that God can love us this way, that we can really find comfort in his richness, in his grace, and his mercy. And for other of us, it's not just unbelief, it's pride. You just want to do it so bad on your own. You've succeeded at so many things you've tried in your life. A lot of you are really, really bright. You've done really well for yourselves, and so you want to be able to do your spirituality on your own, and you lack the humility and the brokenness to see God do it for you. But I would dare say for all of us, if it's not busyness, it's not comfort, it's not ambition, it's not being overwhelmed, it's not control, it's not unbelief, it's not pride, it's shame. Guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is something's wrong with me. You look at everyone else's spirituality and walks with Jesus, you might not know them that well, but you're like, it's working for them, but it's not working for me. 
Something must be fundamentally wrong with my relationship with God. They seem to have peace. They seem to have joy. But I don't have this thing figured out at all. And when we look at our deepest parts, you see that the power of the gospel hasn't changed them to the degree you want. You have all these deep messages that are playing in your head, and they're so negative, and they're not the gospel, and you're starting to go, gosh, something's wrong with me. I know that did that really fast. But what is it for you? What amalgamation of these things haunt you and rob you? from experiencing spiritual renewal. Thankfully, in this passage, we not only see a paradigm for spiritual renewal, we're not only exposed to the problem of spiritual renewal, we see the practice for spiritual renewal as well. First thing you can see in this passage is there's honesty. I love that Paul gives us this prayer. He models that honesty. He's like, hey friends, I need this prayer, you need this prayer. This church needs this prayer. We all need this prayer. Why? Because we all struggle with having spiritual renewal on a regular basis. Let me go first. I struggle in and out of seasons of experiencing the power of the gospel and not experiencing the power of the gospel. I've come through a really hard season of traveling too much. My fault. I have my own career ambitions, and they're in the way of me getting in touch with Jesus and his love. And although I'm coming out of this really dry season and I'm connecting to the beauty and the love and sufficiency of Jesus, I really need spiritual renewal. How about you? Besides honesty in this passage, you see humility. Again, the Paul in verse 14 runs to the Father in dependence. Our only way to experience spiritual renewal is not powering up. It's not making a plan. It's not strategizing. It's not reading four more books. It's not even getting a couple of people to pray for you. It's literally, although that's really important, by the way, it's literally you getting on your knees and begging God in humility and dependence to bring renewal into your life. It's honesty, it's humility, it's prayer. This is something to model and to emulate. It's this beautiful prayer that's given for us. There's so much depth to it. And I dare say of all the prayers in the scriptures, this may be one you want to sort of kind of memorize and make your own. So there's honesty, there's humility, there's prayer, but then there's repentance. Look at verse 14. He says, I bow. Now, this doesn't sound weird to our modern ears, but back in that time, if you were to pray, you would stand to pray. So if you were to bow, that's like serious prayer. That's like doubling down. That's like hardcore prayer back in that time. That's saying to God, I am turning away from my substitutes. I'm not going to be double-minded anymore. I'm going to have a singular heart towards you. You have to do this for me. So that's honesty, it's humility, it's prayer, it's repentance, it's community. Verse 18, this prayer is to be done with all the saints. With all the saints. Now think about your normal practice when you meet for your community groups, when you hang out with other Christians. Do you gather together and beg God together to make the gospel more alive? Do you gather together when you pray together to Beg Jesus to pour down a spirit upon you to give you strength in your innermost being to seize and enjoy the love of Jesus. And finally, it's meditation. Again, to comprehend, to grasp. Tim Keller once says, a fantastic definition, is meditation is thinking the truth in and thinking the truth out until that idea becomes big and sweet, moving and affecting until that reality of God is sensed in the heart. Think about it. The gospel is meant to be just digested in and in and in until what? Until it's like pork barbecue. 
until you can enjoy it, own it, devour it, until it illuminates you inside out, until it heats you up, until it consumes every bit of your affection and imagination. Now, as helpful as that practice is, as helpful as the paradigm is, as illuminating as the problem of spiritual renewal is, what's beautiful is that we have power for spiritual renewal, and we see that in this passage as well. Look at verse 17, at these beautiful objective realities for you, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, just stay with me for a moment. You are like a plant and your roots are in the soil of Jesus. You're literally growing out of him. You are like a building, and you're like grounded architecturally into Jesus, and he is your foundation. What Paul is reminding you is like, you're already planted in Jesus. You're already anchored in Jesus. Lean into your foundation. Soak into your roots. You have everything you need, every spiritual blessing. Lean into the one that you have. The person I think that taught me this most, and I'm going to end with this, is a story of my friend Mike McMichael. There's a couple of you in the room that know Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, I met him in 2002. I was a brand new church planner. I was fresh out of seminary. I moved to Chapel Hill, Carborough, and I got a call from a friend in Virginia. He's like, hey, there's this couple. They're in their 50s. They're in really bad shape. They don't know Jesus, and they want someone to come meet them and talk to them about Jesus. Would you do that? I'm like, yes. It's what I do. And so for the next three and a half years, I visited Mike McMichael every Wednesday afternoon. He would open up a can of vanilla Diet Coke for me because that's what he had to offer, and that's what we did. We read every book in the Bible. We read tons of books. It was so much fun. But during that journey of meeting with him, I began to know his story. When I first met him, he was starting to lose his eyesight. He couldn't walk very well, and he was on that kind of dialysis that you have every night where you hook yourself up. And I realized, oh my gosh, this man has diabetes and he's dying. I quickly discovered that his wife was a paranoid schizophrenic and she was selling everything in the house. And all they was left with was this one little pink chair and the little wooden chair that I would sit in. And that was pretty bad and it was pretty horrific. And gosh, I felt so bad for him, but that wasn't the worst part of his story. About two years in, Mike and I bonded. I loved him, he loved me, he knew I loved him. And he told me his real story. When he was my age, he was driving around. Uh, he had a long day at work, and he had to stay at work. And so he's an engineer. And so he, his parents came in town and said, hey, I know you got to work late. No worries. We'll take your wife and kids out for dinner. So his parents, his wife, and his three kids were in their minivan, and they're heading out to get pizza. And as they're going through a light, a milk truck didn't stop at the red and hit them. And in one fatal swoop, he lost everybody. Wife, kids, parents. He was depressed, obviously. Couldn't work. He lost his job. He got institutionalized, which is where he met his current wife, who was crazy, who preyed upon him. And there he was. Year three, he already lost one leg. I saw, I walked with him in that journey. He was about to lose his second leg. His eyesight was even worse. And oh man, he was living a very hard life. So one of those Wednesday afternoons, I came by, and I was like, hey, Mike, what do you want to talk about today? And we're getting into it. And then he's like, you know, Rue, it's not right. What's not right, Mike? 
It's not right that Jesus would have to die for sinners. It's just unjust that he, the perfect one, would have to die for sinners. It's, it's just wrong. I was like, whoa, 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 Mike. I think you just became a Christian. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not a Christian, Rue. I was like, no, no, you're a Christian. He's like, no, you are. He's like, it's like, look, Mike, only Christians are outraged by the injustice of the cross. He's like, no, I'm not a Christian. I was like, all right, Mike, can I ask you some questions? And he's like, sure. And I was thinking through, I don't even know what to ask. So I started going through the Apostles' Creed in my head. I was like, do you believe Jesus is God? Yes. Do you believe he's the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he ascended uh, the Father in heaven? Yes. Do you believe he's going to come back once again? And he's like, yes. So I was like, Mike, you're a Christian. <laughs> he's like, oh, my gosh, I guess I am. Baru, it's not right. And I was like, of course it's not right, Mike. And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. That the beautiful one would die for us. Two weeks later, the only time he ever came to worship, a bunch of people helped him to get there, and he hobbled his way into service. And then my, my, my favorite moment in ministry was watching him hobble forward to take the Lord's up and being able to give him the elements. It was by far the best moment I've ever had as a minister of the gospel, watching him exercise faith and feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. Six months later, he was dying. I loved this man. I absolutely loved this man. He was in the ICU at Duke. There's a couple of us at church that saw him regularly. I had the hardest time visiting him because I just, I just couldn't bear to see him go. He was my friend. And so I went to visit him one day in worship, I mean, in, this, in the ICU. He had a mask on to help him breathe. And he saw me, and he got really excited. He kind of waved me over, and I went and sat next to him. And he took off the mask. He said, Rue, he's like, yes, Mike, it's not right. What's not right, Mike? That Christ would come and die for a sinner like me. There was this fire in Mike's life that could have had his attention. The fire of losing his wife and kids and parents. The fire of losing his legs. The fire of having diabetes. The fire of having a paranoid schizophrenic for a wife. All those things were horrendous. And that he could have feasted on that fire and that fire could have kept him warm. But instead he went to another fire. He warned himself by the fire of the gospel and the injustice of the cross and the beauty of God's magnificent love for him. And Mike chose to meditate on that fire. Mike chose to throw himself on that fire and that fire illumined his soul and gave him brilliance and beauty and strength while facing death. And Mike's last words to me was a ministry to me where he was giving me courage and strength in the gospel. Friends, spiritual renewal is seizing the magnitudes of God's love. If we tap into that fire, meditate on this fire, grasp this fire, beg the Holy Spirit to make this fire more real, then Durham will never be the same for generations to come. If you would, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we are so, so grateful for all that you've done for us in Christ. Yet we want to acknowledge that we desperately need renewal. We need you, Holy Spirit, to make Jesus more large in our life. We want power in our deepest parts to see the breadth and the width and the depth, the height of his love. 
Father, we need more Holy Spirit, and that's the one thing you told us to ask more of that you would never say no to. And so we want to ask together, give us more of your Holy Spirit. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to make our home in him. Give us the faith of our elder brother, Mike. Father, it's not right that he would die for us. Help us to rejoice in that beauty. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen. The beauty of the Lord's Supper. Well, the beauty of in the Lord's Supper is Jesus gives an opportunity to do what we're dying to do right now. If you think about it, some of you right now are feeling a tremendous amount of pressure. Like, oh snap, I don't experience spiritual renewal. I need to experience spiritual renewal. And what we get to do tangibly right now is experience the gospel in a new and a different way. We don't come to this table with our promises. We don't come to this table with our hopes and expectations and what we can do. But rather we come hungry. We come broken. We come unable to do things begging Jesus to do which he loves to do. How do you, what happens in this meal? Think about it. We're not just eating bread and drinking wine and juice. But in a true spiritual way, Jesus is present in this meal and he literally feeds us. He literally allows us to feast on him. This meal is an expression of spiritual renewal. Friends, are you hungry for God? Are you thirsty for his presence and his love? Do you long to see him fill you up more and more? Are you aching for him to transform you inside and out? Are you dying to make your home in his love? Then he comes and he invites you to feast on him. You don't have to make any promises. You don't have to make any, uh, you don't have to say anything to God to make yourself worthy of this meal. What makes you worthy of this meal is recognizing there's nothing you bring to this meal that makes you worthy, but only the righteousness of Christ. And this is a meal for all of God's children. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, he comes, invites you to come broken and hungry in an absolute mess and enjoy his rich mercy and grace. Now, some of you right now are going, I'm still not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm not sure that this makes sense to me yet. And we are so glad you're here. And we'd love to chat with you about this Jesus thing and try to help you to process it and understand it. So there's still two ways for you to continue to participate uh, you may want to just remain in your seats when we actually serve the Lord's Supper and meditate on what has been mentioned. Or you may want to come forward, and when you do, as others eat, you can have your arms crossed over your chest in this manner, and there'll be someone up front like me who'd be happy to pray for you. But as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, it would be great for us to be reminded of what the gospel is, as I got to remind Mike as we recite the Apostles' Creed together. So if you would, please stand. And let's recite what we believe to be true about the gospel together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and he's buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.